I really like the idea of getting a lot of movement in my tapestry paintings. And that comes from the dancing, I think. I love the feel of movement. And in fact, my loom, I stand at. It's a physical, you know, so that I'm sort of dancing at the loom. Welcome to the Stolen Hours Podcast. Conversations with known and unknown creative or passion-driven people whose mild-mannered alter egos range from postal workers to teachers to salespeople to moms and dads to husbands and wives just getting life done but in a creative way the following is episode six the retired wall street lawyer the loom artist and dancer carol chave If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe, write us a review on iTunes, follow us on Instagram at the Stolen Hours Podcast, or just follow online at www.thestolenhourspodcast.com. Enjoy the episode. Carol Chave is a retired Wall Street lawyer who's spent the last 20 years since her retirement creating. Dance has always been a part of her life, but now her specialties are creating paintings on a loom and working as an improv dancer with the New York City-based music and dance improv group called The Moving Orchestra. Carol's creations have been displayed throughout New York City, New Jersey, and definitely around the country even. Her home studio is in Highland Lakes, New Jersey, but she calls home New York City or the lake, depending on the season of life. Welcome, Carol Shave. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's fun. So it's, uh, you're definitely one of my encouragers. I realize I've, a lot of my first guests are my encouragers of my creative life. So I wanted to have you come on and talk about your creative life. So you're, with your little intro there, you've, uh, you've kind of had a, a whole ring of things happen in your life. And let's just start with like the early days of your creating life. Let's go back to your childhood. What was the first time you really created something that you're like, all right, I like this. Hmm. <laughs> well, I think because I'm a dancer, uh, dance, I, from my earliest, I just remember from as soon as I could walk, I danced. If I heard music, if I saw, trees blowing in the wind, I moved. Um, Martha Graham, who is one of the pioneers of modern dance in this country, once said, no one chooses to be a dancer. You're born a dancer. And and if you're a dancer, you just can't help it. I, I'll be walking through the subway and the beatbox boys are going and I just start dancing along with them. I mean, that's just who I am and what I do. So, uh, Dance has just been always a part a part of me, and um, yeah, I think you know. And then theater as a child, I would write plays that I wrote my brother into uh, performing with me, and I made a stage in the basement, and I'd make costumes. Um, I think lots of kids do that with dress ups and so forth. So that's a form of creating. But uh, the the weaving and then painting as a, as with textiles came came later when I was in my late teens, early twenties. 
Nice. So you are someone who now, you know, like I said, lives not too far from me and here in Highland Lakes, New Jersey. And also you have a home in New York City. Um, where did you grow up, though? I grew up in the Midwest. Um, right. And actually, I was quite um, my family traveled a lot, but we went basically back and forth between Detroit and Chicago. And when I was about seven, from then on, we pretty much lived in Detroit. And um, fortunately for me, Detroit was a hotbed of modern dance. <laughs> Little known yeah. fact, there was uh, Wayne State University, the city college just churned out modern dancers. So my mother got me dance class at the local Y, and it was modern dance, and it was wow. it was improvisation. And so I just was able to sort of hit the ground running from seven of getting encouragement that doing whatever you want with movement is absolutely fine and wonderful. So that, oh, that was great. a really good beginning. So you, you took dance some dance classes when you were young, but it was improv right away. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and so beyond those classes, did you ever do any sort of formal education in the arts? No, no, I have ne- no, no. <laughs> this never. is just something you did without all it being your, your majors in college or anything like that, right? Right. No, I mean, my father made it very clear that I was going to college to get a job. And that, <laughs> so actually I took dance classes downtown and I was at the university of Chicago and I would go downtown and find, you know, a, a teacher there and, and worked with her. But, uh, and I would perform around the city with jazz groups and um, free theater and so forth. But all that was completely outside the university. And uh, nice. Yeah. Well, that's why I encourage my students all the time. I say, listen, if you don't study art, you know, I understand. And you just have to keep doing it because it's kind of, it keeps you sane. It keeps you alive. You know, did you feel like that was your thing that kept oh, you alive during? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... I guess your whole life, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it was. Yeah. Even for the 25 years I was a lawyer, I would really just try to get a dance class once a month. That was my goal. <laughs> uh, once yeah. a month I could get, uh, get in. To the studio. Well, yeah, it's, I was looking at your uh, just your CV there. I mean, you you were a, a big time lawyer. This was uh, your world for twenty five years, and you were in New York City, was it, or were you? That's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and and so really the the Wall Street world. I see the the Bank of Tokyo. <laughs> like, there's all these crazy things you did as a lawyer um, in those worlds. Well, the the interesting thing about Bank of Tokyo was, um, so I hit uh, when I I got to. Um, New York City, I had a, a three-year-old and a law degree, and my undergraduate major had been Japanese studies. So I thought, yes. how am I going to get a job in New York City? So I wrote all the Japanese companies in town and said, here I am. <laughs> you know, I know something <laughs> about Japan. I've got a law degree. <laughs> and I got lucky. I mean, Bank of Tokyo said, you know, well, actually, that was a connection, though, because the um, turned out the guy who was the chief um, uh, non-Japanese officer at the Bank of Tokyo was from Detroit. And so <laughs> he said, oh, you got to take a look at this woman. And, and he told them, he said, what's more, you need to hire women. You know, so I was able to ride the crest of suddenly, you know, e- equal employment opportunities and so forth. So, wow. yeah. Oh, that's even interesting as part yeah. of your your world there. So yeah, so it was good that culturally to be uh, yeah in a world that I'd been studying. I'd made a couple trips to Japan. I'd been an exchange student there, and so um, 
that that was a really interesting part of my first legal job. Wow. All right. So so during those 25 years, you're sneaking a dance class once a month, but you're raising children as well. And <laughs> um, how about so as you're raising your kids um, and even in, you know, just where among your your uh, co-workers, do your kids and your co-workers know that you're a dancer or a lover of dance? Well, no, I mean, this I mean, this was the big problem for me. And of <laughs> the 25 years as a lawyer, I mean, basically, I had to be I was not a mother. I was not a dancer. I was not an artist in any way, shape or form. I was a career woman. That was all yeah. they wanted to know. And and I would meet other women lawyers who were career women also. And whenever I'd sort of try to initiate the conversation about how this is just to pay the rent, right? And they were, oh no, you know, this is who I am. And I'm thinking, oh dear, <laughs> this is not who I am. <laughs> and wow, yeah, well, so it was amazing. a completely other side. Yeah, no, I'm, my life was completely bifurcated at that point. Yeah, so so outside of work then it's, um, yeah, there's there's this other identity that you're kind of hiding out under. <laughs> so Absolutely. About, and I'm sure there's, you know, moments where you're just, you know, enjoying raising your kids when you when you are able to have that time, you know, outside of the career, um, dancing around the kitchen or whatever. <laughs> it's like, it, like you said, it's a natural part of life. You know, yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a no, you dance. just dance with your kids. Yeah, I always danced with them and so forth. Yeah. 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 I'm not a dancer and I still dance with my kids. <laughs> there you go. Well, but that's that's one of the real tragedies to me of our contemporary modern society. Sure, is sure. We don't dance. Um, in traditional societies that I've read about, you dance yeah. collectively because the sun came up, because the sun yes. went down, because you're bringing in the crops, you know, because you're celebrating things. You, I mean, movement and dance was so much a part of traditional cultures. And I, I think we've yeah. lost a lot here. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's even just people, you know, seeing other people dance, it's like an, it's, they're attracted to it because there's a desire for even that movement themselves, whether or not they do it. I mean, you know, as a kid, I just remember doing the crazy dance, I called it, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, sure. And then, and then at some point being embarrassed that, oh, uh, someone's going to say that I'm no, I shouldn't do that. So I just stopped doing it. You know, and then yeah. I, and then and then I then I discovered uh, alternative music in mosh pits, and I'm like, oh, the crazy dance is back. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And and so yeah, that I mean, so this this natural part of you, I mean, and I I, I part of my interest in this doing this podcast is to even admit that everybody has this this creative uh, desire in them not always a creative outlet, but you definitely kept it in your heart and mind and you decided at some point to retire. Um, did you retire early from the law world? Yeah, well, when when I turned 50, I just, the problem was I was very successful as a lawyer. I think it's partly because I'm creative and so you know, you're able to think outside the box. But the problem with being successful in a job is that they keep expecting you work longer and longer hours. You keep getting promoted. So finally, I just decided I really can't take this any longer. I didn't have time with my kids. You know, I couldn't do any of my creative things. So when I was 50, I said, I got to change my whole life. And it took two years, but I was able to figure out that if I was the nanny, you know, (laughs) we could afford, you know, we could still put you know, food on the table. And, um, and as soon as I retired, 
I bought a loom and I started going to professional dance classes three days a week because my kids were in school at that point. They were seven and 10. Yeah. And, but it was new opportunities for my kids too. They shortly thereafter, they got invited my two youngest kids to be in an off Broadway production of Richard the third. And they, the show ran for 10 weeks and, um, but because I was retired, I could get them there, you know, and they could do it. It it was just a few blocks from their school and the Lower East Side. And, uh, and it was an amazing experience for all of us. So me being able to retire just released everybody's creative side in our family. (laughs) So a potential creative energy bubble that just was about to burst. Exactly. Got to do this. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great, that's a great thing to hear even just how it benefited your kids. So, so the loom, you buy one right away. Was this just something you always were interested in or had you done things with textile tapestries, textiles before? Well, I, from, from my earliest days, I always remember loving color and texture and fabric and fiber. And, um, as a child, I often, I would sew, um, first doll clothes for my sister and then, I'd make my own clothes and design them, you know, and cut them out and everything. And then um, I make costumes for various, um, I don't know, different uh, productions, school productions and so forth. And then um, finally in my yeah late teens, I was going by a storefront when I was in college and there was a guy just teaching weaving on a little frame loom. And I sat down next to him and, uh, that was the beginning. Um, and I wow. never looked back. It, a few years later, I bought a loom when my first child was born. I had a loom at that point. But then um, as um, the kids kept coming and <laughs> and I was working and so forth, there was no room for loom or time for the loom. So it got put away. But then I started, I taught myself to quilt, which is also very creative. I mean, you just, I would just piece quilts and give them to friends when they had babies and make, I made just dozens of quilts for my kids. And it's a real creative outlet, but it's also functional, you know, and it's something that your family, oh, and part of the loom. Yeah. When I was weaving, after I was quit working as a lawyer, um, I was making rag rugs because when you have four kids, you end up with a lot of old sheets, and, you know, things. <laughs> sure. So I started making rag rugs uh, while I was home with the kids. And then after a while, I ran out of rags, but I had this huge stash of plastic shopping bags. So I started cutting them into strips and making rugs out of plastic shopping bags. Well, the first one went into my kid's treehouse. So it became a treehouse rug. Um, <laughs> and then after that, the whole ecology movement and so forth, um, I was invited to show them at uh, the Museum for uh, Early Trades and Crafts, I think it's called in nice. New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and so that became that became really the first time my art was really shown. It was my my rag rugs. <laughs> so, wow! And specifically the plastic the bag plastic one. shopping bag, right? <laughs> you can't imagine what sort of graphics you get. You know, you got silver and hot pink oh, and yeah, everything. Yeah. You know, flying through there. So yeah, Ooh, you might have to make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are no true. more shopping bags. <laughs> I know that's true. Although, Fortunately. So you got the stash. <laughs> they're all being used to like pick up dog poo. Right, somewhere. right. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, wow. So very interesting. So what? So what time? What year is that? Your first show? 
It was at least 20 years ago. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like the ecology movement, you know, those, you know, wh- where we were at with that. <laughs> yeah, it was of, it was early days for that, yeah. but yeah. Someone saying, "Oh, you're doing cool things with recycled material." Right, exactly. <laughs> that was that That's movement. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. All right, so since um then so your your kids are now tapped into creative world i i I know that uh that's that's part of their existence um so the creativity has not gone far from you it's like right (laughs) next to you with your family um do either of your kids have uh careers or do they create things now well my daughter yeah is a producer of of um video and and uh film yes and documentaries and yeah so i mean it's an incredibly creative um She's the production oh, yeah. end of it, yeah. And then awesome. two of my boys um, um, are singers, um, as, and th- that they do, you know, when they when they used to be part of groups <laughs> that did it. So uh, yeah, um, that's great. Uh, yeah, nice. All right, so uh, from your fifties on, we're now. You said you're in your seventies, so you've had a whole like second career of just creating so um i know this is uh i've definitely been someone who's who supported and enjoyed seeing your work um just locally here but i know you've gotten your stuff out there so let's just like where after that first show you know you you started doing what with the loom you know where did you go well then let's see um uh actually i decided that I what I really enjoyed doing was painting pictures at the loom, yeah. and so that that was what I moved into is just treating the yarn as paint, and um, and I, I mostly started out doing abstract um, originally. Then uh, I've since I've never had any art classes. I don't you know <laughs> perspective. All these things are. Are things that I've heard about, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> not really. Um, uh, so I'm really self-taught. But so I did a lot of abstract, and then I decided to. Uh, I was heavily influenced, actually, by Japanese. The time I'd spent in Japan and studying um, Japanese art too, where there's a, a lot they do in in Japanese art where they just get sort of a snapshot of a moment. The um, so, you know, it's the birds sort of flying through and you'll get just the tail of the bird. And um, and I really like the idea of getting a lot of movement in my tapestry paintings. And that comes from the dancing, I think, too, yeah. that, you know, the dancers, that I love the feel of movement. And in fact, my loom, the loom I ultimately ended up with, I stand at it's uh, so that it's a physical, you know, so that I'm sort of dancing at the loom is, is a way an Indian woman once referred to it because yeah. I'm standing on the treadles and moving shuttles and so forth. So it's a very physical process. Um, yeah, that's right. I was, I was about to say you're dancing with the loom. I yeah, think that's exactly. great. Yeah. There's yeah. your, there's your new, uh, your next show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know you've done, um, pieces on the loom that actually were in in the context presented um or are you still in the midst of that where you're there's actually dance involved with the loom pieces surrounding and oh yeah i got i uh, my last commission was um a woman who she has sicilian heritage um trina menino and she was putting together a piece with um singing from her um 
aunts and uncles and uh, traditional Sicilian songs. And as part of the piece, she wanted she she invited me to join as a dancer, but also wanted me to weave on stage um, and to make a series of of rugs that could be part of the stage set. So I had a wonderful time just doing a whole in-depth research on Sicilian tapestry weaving these traditional rugs. Uh, and, and then I made a whole series of rugs, um, ta- rag rugs really, based on that tradition. But ultimately, then it was the pandemic, everything shut down. And so yeah. we ended up doing it on a rooftop in Brooklyn. And I, I do weave in the course of the piece, um, but the, rug, the rugs weren't used. So they're now on mine and my friend's floors and uh, very happy there. So that was great. Is that I, I got one of them, I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you, did, you did give me a rug. Yeah, you got a rug. That's right. <laughs> that was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So that is that... Um, so with that, you're actually the live live performance, and you're actually weaving on some yeah you know, the the rooftop stage in Brooklyn. Right, That's right, yeah, exactly. Is that recorded, or is that is there a video, or is it? Um, yes, no, she did she did record it. I'm not sure where it is. Where is it? Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, All right, but, nice. But it was a fun experience. She totally seduced me when she wanted me to both weave and dance. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. That was integration yeah. of all good things. For right, you. right. Nice. And so I, speaking of those little snapshots, like the, I think of it as like the filmmaking cutaway, you know, where they show something on the side of the main plot, right? So it's the bird flying across the scene. Yeah. Um, I know that you have a lot of inspiration found in literature and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like where you get ideas from? for your loom paintings. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm a really avid reader and, um, and all my kids were really serious readers or most of them anyway. And, um, uh, I, in fact, I raised my children without television because, um, just we read and they spent time outdoors and so forth. And, uh, um, actually I have a wonderful story about that. One of my son's he was talking, I overheard him talking to a friend when he was quite young, I don't know, eight, nine, 10. And the friend was just sort of thunderstruck at the notion that he didn't watch TV. And he, and and so I was waiting for the answer. And my son said, Oh, we're much too busy. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was just perfect because I mean, books just fill your imagination you know i mean because you visualize the whole thing um and and you put yourself in the book and you put yourself in the situations and so yeah my reading has led to i did a whole series um based on dh lawrence um uh, the lady chatterley's lover which takes place in um, the greens of, of England, where she's sort of running around naked through um, through the forests, and or, or they're not really forests; they're more woodlands. And and what also inspired that whole series is living up here in Highland Lakes, where we're all just engulfed in you know woodlands and the greenery and so forth. So here in Highland Lakes, I have the option of. Um, I built a fire and and um, my husband made me sort of a fire pit so that I could dye wool. And so I made all these different shades of green. And then I would just, rin- after dyeing them, you have to rinse them. So I had an old kid's swimming pool that I just rinsed them in and then tack them up on a railing to dry. 
Um, so it was, yeah, it's both what I was reading and then where I was living were both just huge influences on a series um, that is just sort of little vignette snapshots from text in those stories. Nice. That's great. That's great. Um, I, I, I always love when you say that I, you know, it took me till my seventies to be a highly sought after artist. <laughs> um, I, I think that's, you know, just, I mean, I, you know, this, this podcast being the stolen hours, you know, it's, it's like your whole, this whole second life for you after your career and raising your kids and you know, now they're living their lives and you get to experience that for sure. Um, and, you know, grandchildren and all those wonderful things, but you also have time to be, the artist you always wanted to be on and and people are calling you and or <laughs> however means are like get asking you to be involved with things and so let's talk about that i know the the major thing has been the moving orchestra which is something you kind of seem to help propel as well as <laughs> for sure you're a main main member of and it's really all these very young people from juilliard right yeah and, no i mean the moving orchestra this I mean, this is where I I always feel um, uh, no good deed goes unrewarded. Um, what we started doing once I retired, uh, I guess the daughter of a friend first introduced me to something called Group Muse, which is yes. an organization that brings people together, people who don't know each other together into people's homes to hear classical chamber music. That, that was how it was set up. So our house in Manhattan, we started sponsoring these um, concerts and we it got to the point where we we're having one a month, sometimes even more, because there was a, a, a young woman violinist who just kept she and her friends and, you know, and it's an amazing experience hearing classical music in a home. And yes. our home is sort of uniquely configured for it. It's a very, very small house, but it has a so a sort of a staircase that goes up, sort of an uh, atrium effect in the center, so that people can sit on the stairs, sit on. Oh, and it's very casual too. People just sit on the floor, sit on the stairs, and all the way up to the second floor, you can hear this. So we would sometimes have we could accommodate up to forty to, or fifty people at these concerts, oh, yeah. and they're all just packed in. I mean, this is all very pre-pandemic, you know, yeah. on top of each other, hearing that. And these kids are just world-class musicians. They are mostly Juilliard or Manus or you know the various New York City schools. They're very young and incredibly talented, and and I would sometimes sit right next to the cello and it just yeah. it feels like you're inside it you know and so forth yeah. so this was going on for years about five years and after a while um this young woman violinist she said would you mind if we did improv music as one piece in our programming and i said no of course i'd be delighted and and it was just overwhelmingly accepted by the audience. They loved it. Um, and then she said, how about we do an all improv concert? And I said, <laughs> why not? So yes. after I agreed, after that concert, she, they, she just sort of cornered me up in my studio in the house. And she said, wait a minute, you're supposed to be this classical music lover. Why are you letting us do all this improv? And I said, well, because I'm an improvisational dancer. And they yeah. just, they said, would you dance with us? <laughs> I said, are awesome. you kidding? <laughs> so it took off and now it, it'll be almost two years in the spring that um, 
We first did it in my living room, and then we started renting black box spaces. And they, of course, have all sorts of friends who are um, it, uh, uh, who are interested in doing improvisation, although they're classically trained. And so yes. they they pull them all in, and uh, yeah, it was it, well. And as it happened, I had performed once in Chicago when I was in my late teens, early twenties, with. Um, the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, um, okay. which was is just sort of a world famous now organization. I mean, back then it was literally the second or third year that they were getting organized in the '60s when I performed with a trio of them. But um, these kids from Juilliard, they know about these groups, and you know, and these uh, the people who I knew back then. I mean, they're now famous professors in universities and so forth. I mean, it just yeah. sort of, so, uh, yeah. So it's been sort of full circle for me because I just did improv with them. And so now I'm able to do improv with these classically trained musicians and I'm having so much fun. <laughs> it's really yeah. unbelievable. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, I had the honor of, uh, filming one of these events at the, uh, what was the Episcopal church? Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. That was an amazing experience. Just this old church, beautiful space. And then uh, you guys doing your thing and with the, in the echoed halls of this, you know, really large space. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so I know the pandemic has, has put a halt on those kind of things, but you guys have found a way. It seems like, you know, I just keep seeing posts, the uh, moving artists are doing things via you know zoom or whatever you're doing yeah, yeah and then was there a tour or something i saw like, i don't know what that was that well was... um they <laughs> we let's see what do we do well we originally we were doing those little boxes like everybody's doing yes. where everybody was in their own space but since we're yes. improv the time lag isn't really a problem for us you know that it okay. is if you're trying to do but that got pretty old pretty fast <laughs> yes so where are you at now so where yeah. we are now is in december we um all came together and yeah. yeah so we had masks on but we were at least all in a studio and yeah that felt really good and over the course of three days they with different combinations of people we and we would uh, like do four hours of performance and then they'd edit it down you know okay. and um and make sort of 40 minute long pieces. So we did that. And then, um, and then just last weekend, we did another one that's going to be up March 7th, actually. Um, okay. um, and it, but if you go into the moving orchestra on YouTube, that's where this, this all appears. And so there's a new release on March. 7th. Yeah. And the new release, actually the new layer we've got now is we have animators working with uh -huh. us too, doing animation. Um, one is a woman who is in France and then uh, the other, there's another, a, a duo who each do their own separate animations. And then we also have a vocalist who, and so after we, in the space we were working, we did the music, the animation and the dancing. And then we gave the, the finished product to a vocalist who then put her layer on it. So this is going to be, yeah, it's called Night at the Movies. <laughs> nice, nice. And it can be found that you said at the Moving Orchestra YouTube yeah, page yep, or YouTube. Yep, yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, that's that's a great amount of things for us to check out. It sounds like uh, wonderful, wonderful things going on. Um, so are you 
is your studio only in New Jersey now? Are you only that's the only place you're working in in terms of your loom? Yes, um, yeah, my loom is yeah, it's wonderful. It's now got a dedicated little log cabin in uh, nice. in New Jersey, and so I have yeah my own space, which is is just fabulous. And um, the problem always with having your studio in the house is that there's always laundry and dishes, you know, and so forth. So this is, has its its own little corner. And uh, yeah, I'm, I've recently embarked on a whole, I did a whole series inspired by the artist um, Mark Rothko um, and um, where I was sort of emulating the way he puts layer on layer of color and then the colors sort of seep through each other. And um, my current inspiration is Helen Frankenthaler, who has a just she has an amazing sense of color, and so I'm I'm trying to to work her sense into into my current work. Uh, but I tend to go through these sort of series where I yeah get an idea that I explore over over a period of time. Nice. Now your husband, he's just your main fan, or is he a creative man himself? Ah, let's see. <laughs> well, Bob, Bob, I mean, the, the great thing about Bob is that he loves fixing things. So yes. he's the guy you always want to be living with. <laughs> you know, if the plumbing doesn't work, if the electric doesn't work, he says, I can do that. <laughs> yes. So and he's yeah, no, and he's just a huge supporter of my work. And um, and and he I mean, he's finding it really fun. His whole career was as a lawyer also. Um but um, he's very happy to put that behind him and just to be living. I mean, we have four kids. We have grandchildren. We have two houses. Oh, yeah, we have all these houses. Yeah, we ended up getting the houses next door to us up here because of all here in Highland Lakes because of all our kids. Um, so he spends a lot of time repairing everything and shoveling snow and mowing grass, which from his point of view is just fine. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And so, I mean, you do have a bit of a, you know, just kind of a great common lawn right in your right. area there. Yeah. We, we almost had an event. We will. I, we will. We, we will. will. I, we I, do, will. I think about it all the time. Yeah. We have part of our art on the lawn experience, which you participated in. Um, there was to be a live performance that day, but you know, as all things go in the pandemic world, right? <laughs> things are canceled, but we did not cancel our art on the lawn. No, I do look forward to a day. We just actually spoke with uh, people in the community. We're going to do a uh, another art on the lawn probably in August. Great, um, great. And we're going a part of that will be a uh, um, just supporting the Goodwill Fund for people who need help in the neighborhood. Oh, good, and good. So artists will donate works for an art auction. Oh, I like it. Good. You're speaking about the main lawn in use with some performers, so there may be room for that. Would be mo- fabulous. Yeah, a social distance moving orchestra and the mix, maybe. No, well, the <laughs> the beautiful thing about that lawn is we've been hanging out with all our neighbors out there all summer. You know, having parties. Yeah. I'm sure you have been too. I mean, because we all have yards. You know, where you yeah. You, you're not on top of each other, breathing each yeah, other. You just, yeah, yeah, you, you just, just keep your space. Right. And, and everybody and hangs out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, where we live is, I, I mean, it, it's like the secret's out. Don't, yeah. don't tell many, too yeah. many people. There's no houses available anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's friends of mine are trying to, you know, today, driving around looking for a place. And they're like, uh, everything's really expensive. I was like, oh, six months ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. right. Um, we love it. Don't, no, change my na- don't change my neighborhood, people. 
<laughs> we're so lucky up here. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and I have to say, you know, you being in the neighborhood uh, to me is part of the culture of our neighborhood. So I really appreciate who well, you are. Well, and you too. I mean, you're, and you're the one who's pulling us all together, which is so important because we artists can sort of end up, you know, in our little cubby holes and, and not find each other. So well, that's, yeah. it's so much desires to create community. You know, when you're in college, especially in art school, there's such a community and then you graduate and you're like, Whoa, what did I do? Where, where's my community? And I, and I have no job. <laughs> so, so since then we've had wonderful just pockets of, um, it just community that we've kind of kept and and now that's what I was missing in my adult life and so you guys were my next community yeah of people no, that, we love it all of us yeah, that's great. yeah, yeah. so hopefully uh, yeah we can do in-person things again and maybe we'll do you know in, in the yard monthly artist group in your yard <laughs> I, uh, I'd love it I'd love it absolutely yeah. bring your latest creation yeah and uh, yeah so that's very cool and then this even this podcast is a way to just help that community kind of have a voice. And so your voice goes out to whoever's ready to tune in and, you know, who yeah. knows where it goes. So definitely uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so is there any uh, things you'd like to share with us in terms of future projects? I know March 7th, Moving Orchestra's thing's coming out, but also with uh, your own work. I guess you're you're still working on that last project you mentioned. Well, I what I want to circle back with now um is getting back to what actually when we first moved out to Highland Lakes, I taught um, creative dance um, at the clubhouse. I taught quilting at the clubhouse. I was doing all sorts of real, that really pulled us into the community, you know, and um, shared my creative urge and, and just people just loved it. I mean, (laughs) we would sometimes have 40 people quilting in and people were buying sewing machines (laughs) and so forth. It was, it was wonderful, but this is all also pre-internet because once everybody got a computer, um, that stopped, everybody was just home and and nothing was going happening. But what I would like to do now is I'm trying to figure out a way to initiate teaching weaving in to kids and in the community more. And so my current initiative is I actually just arrived today. I got one of those big 10 by 10 by 10 canopy tents. So uh, I can set it up, you know, when, when there are the yard sales on, you know, on the lawn and, and I can take it on the road to, uh, to farm market shows and so forth. And I figured out a way I taught, um, Years ago, I t- somebody asked me to teach uh, kindergartners weaving, and so I made these little cardboard looms for them, and yeah. they made these wonderful little strips that they all said they were going to tie to their backpack. And one little boy told <laughs> me great. he was going to be a weaver when he grew up, and so That's great. so I'm well, trying to yeah get that whole of um, uh, the giving back side going again yeah. so yeah, well, that's awesome. that's my current project let's yeah and that's the, the themes of this podcast go with right into education that's definitely i'm an educator and a lot of the artists who have spoke to me so far are talking about that desire to teach desire to share and uh, that's wonderful thank you for offering that i mean it's really interesting your, I, your piece that's on my wall of the point is and to the left of it is my son's little loom piece that he made at school. So it's kind of, and I put it up, you know, like as the compliment to yours. So this is kind great, of a, great, yeah. you know, it's like the, the potential energy of his and the fully professional, beautiful <laughs> thing you made there. 
and and specifically it, it's of a place that we love you know which is that's great our, yeah. our hike so yeah yeah um, so I, yeah, again, very cool. We'll support whatever you do. And, <laughs> and yeah, as, as, as we go forward, you know, if you have anything new to announce and you want to be attached to this, this podcast, it, there'll be a, the stolen hours podcast, um, dot com. So it'll, it'll basically have links to all your links and, oh, great. Uh, okay. and some examples of your work for people to check out. So yeah, check out Carl's work at the stolen hours podcast dot com but also carol where do we where do we follow you and find your well, stuff instagram is my uh, my one yeah it's chave dot carol is um yeah and that's that's my one social media nice and then uh, the moving orchestra also has its own right right the moving nice. orchestra is on instagram also and youtube right nice so there we go all right <laughs> we, we will continue to you know, keep in touch and uh, listeners definitely support Carol Jave with all the cool things she's doing. And thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Oh, and thank you for all you do, Dennis, pulling us all together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, need definitely needs to happen. Absolutely. We got to be a community, yep. even in this crazy time. <laughs> all right. Bye. Please, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to This is Stolen Podcast! Alright guys, just want to give you a heads up on what's coming next. Next week, episode 7, we have the cell phone tower climber, the musician Chris Campbell, um, who now lives out on the West Coast, um, out in Lake Tahoe. It's a great story just about his experience being a, being a tower climber, but also his experiences as a musician and just kind of living creatively out there on the West Coast, exploring and enjoying it all. So hope you join me for that. Also check out, uh, if you're digging this music, this is the music of Jay Agnes, J-A-I-A-G-N-I-S-H, and you can check his music out on whatever streaming platform you enjoy. And for sure, also keep checking out Mike Ferrari's artwork, who's the uh, designer of our, our logo there for uh, the Stolen Hours. So thanks so much for listening.